keep the lights down there. Well, thank you. It's been a wonderful morning, hasn't it? And uh, there should be another miracle this morning because Michael began and he said, this morning it'll be a short service and everything will be over in an hour. So, Michael, you believe in miracles, yes? I don't think it'll be in an hour. Anyway, we'll do our best. I'll not talk too quickly. Anyway, that's good. Well, today, as we all know, it's the end of one year, December 31st, 2023. Tomorrow is the start of a new year, January the 1st, 2024. So we've already heard from John that he hates resolutions. So let's ask how many of you have made or plan to make a New Year resolution. I'm not going to embarrass you by asking you what it is, all right? I'm just interested in a poll of how many of you plan to make a New Year resolution. Just stick your hand up. One, two, three, four. Not many people at all, is it? Well, okay. Uh, I found on the internet a recent survey from a recent year. It indicates that 20% have made a New Year resolution, 18% have made two resolutions, 60% have made no resolutions. So you're in line with being an irresolute congregation. That's, that's good. So what are the most popular resolutions that people make? Again, the internet's wonderful for these things. What is your New Year resolution? 43% want to exercise more. Same number want to eat healthier. Linked in with that, 40% want to lose weight. 25% to spend more time with family and friends. 24% live more economically. 20% want to cut down on alcohol. Here's a good one, to spend less time on social media, 19%. And to quit smoking. Well, all very worthwhile. I don't have any data about how many people have actually kept their resolutions or how long it took them to break them. What I want you to do very simply this morning is to give you a resolution for 2024. And I hope even John will be happy with it. He's putting his thumb up there at the front. Thank you, John. So here it is, a New Year resolution from someone in the Bible. And this is what he writes. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's a resolution. He says, one thing, one thing I do. He describes someone with single-minded determination. The picture, as you can see on the screen, is that of an athlete straining forward with every sinew, striving to get to the line and to finish the course and to win the prize. Now, bit of background about them, if you don't know the story, about the man who wrote this. His name is Paul, and his resolution is in a letter in the New Testament part of our Bibles, and it'll help to have a Bible. There are some on the pews there, or if you've got it on your device or phone or whatever. And it's in a letter he wrote to some Christians in the Greek city of Philippi uh, a long time ago, 2,000 years ago. He writes his letter from a prison cell in the city of Rome. He's awaiting trial before the emperor Nero on a capital charge of spreading the story about Jesus. If he is found guilty, privileged as a Roman citizen, he'll not be crucified or anything, he'll be mercifully beheaded. 
outside the city. So this is not for him a New Year resolution. It's a life and death resolution. Imagine that, sitting in a prison cell, waiting the verdict. What are you going to do? Well, here's his resolution. As he strives towards the goal to win the prize. So we're going to read what he said in context. So if you've got a Bible, it's Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to read from verse 7 to get the context. It's page 1180, and I'm looking for Susie. Susie's going to come up and read for us. I don't know where the microphone is. Is it somewhere? Oh, here we are. Michael's got it. It's hiding away. Thank you, Susie. You want the microphone? Morning. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So here's Paul in his prison cell. It was around 25 years previously that he began this race that he's describing. He'd been heading in one direction, literally towards the Syrian city of Damascus. He had one purpose in mind, to arrest, imprison, and even kill the followers of one Jesus of Nazareth, whom he regarded as a heretic. Suddenly, a bright light from the sky shone, and a voice from heaven stopped him dead in his tracks, and he found himself face to face with none other than this Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. It was a life-changing moment. Notice what he says in verse 12. He says, Christ Jesus took hold of me. It's a picture of, imagine a child doing something naughty, heading for the wrong place. And suddenly, a hand reaches down, a parent grabs him by the scruff of the neck and stops him in his tracks. That's what Paul is talking about here. He says, Christ Jesus took hold of me. Jesus gripped me, stopped me in my tracks, and turned my life around. It was a life-changing moment. From then on, he had a new purpose in life, a new direction, a new direction in the race he is running. So before we go any further, let me stop and ask you a personal question. Can you say, Christ Jesus took hold of me? Although the personal details we experience may not be as dramatic as those of Paul, nonetheless, there needs to come a decisive moment in your life when you were stopped in your tracks and you head in a new direction. 
The Bible calls it, this Bible word, repentance. It means a change of mind, a change of direction. Have you reached that point? Have you started the race? Have you started the race? Have you started out? And for Paul, that day was just the beginning. The beginning of a personal relationship with Jesus. Paul started the race, but 25 years on, he says, I've not yet arrived. I've not got here yet. Now, if he had arrived, not yet arrived, then I'm pretty sure that I have not yet arrived. Yet it's very easy at the end of a year to pause you and stop and think about your life. And I've been thinking a lot about this personally for a good reason. Tomorrow is not only the start of a new year, it's my birthday. And I, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. So, my, I'll tell you all now, my 77th birthday, and you will gasp with surprise and say, oh, gosh, I couldn't believe you're that old. No. <laughs> anyway, on January the 14th next year, it'll be 63 years since I started my race as a 14-year-old when I became a Christian. And the danger is that you get... I've probably been a Christian longer than anybody else here in the building. I'm pretty confident about that. <laughs> but the danger is that you stop. You think, well, I've been doing this a long time. It's time for me to take it easy, put my feet up, relax a little bit, you know. Or to become inflexible to new ideas. Or face with disappointment and failure, like the runner in the marathon, you know, when they hit the wall. It's just to give up. So for some of you here like me, maybe not 63 years, maybe you've been a Christian for quite a time. And I, I ask you as I ask myself today, how are you doing? Are you running well? Are you still straining towards the, the goal? Are you heading towards the goal? So what is the antidote to this? The antidote to this, which I want to leave with you, is our New Year resolution. Here it is in glorious technicolor off the internet again. I'll get done for copyright one of these days. But anyway... <laughs> But one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I want to give that to you as a New Year resolution. Now, it's a very <coughs> clear text. It's a verse that looks in two directions. It looks backwards, forgetting the past, and it looks forward, straining towards what is ahead. So let me simply look at these two aspects. Looking back, looking forward. All right, very simple. So first of all, forgetting the past. In this third chapter of the letter, and it, we, we, we could have read the whole chapter, in fact, the whole letter. It's a wonderful letter. If you've never read it, when you go home, read through the whole thing. But in this third chapter, Paul is looking back over his past. And he's determined, he says, because it's a continuous tense, He's looking back and he says, I want to keep on forgetting what is past. Now, he's not asking that God will give him spiritual amnesia, you know, wipe out his memory altogether. In fact, the Bible says in the Old Testament, but it applies in the New Testament, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. We should constantly remember what God has done for us. And the testimonies this morning are testimony to that. Now, forgetting in the Bible means not allowing things from the past to influence us in the present and then in the future. Perhaps ignoring would be a better word. Yet how easily 
And often we fail to forget the past and instead we allow it to hinder our effectiveness in the present and cripple our potential for the future. The more I've been involved with pastoral problems of people over many years, let alone spend time in self-reflection, the more I recognize how much the past can affect our present and future lives. And the past contain, contain both negative and positive experiences that we need to forget. Negatively, we can be crippled by past failures. So here's my first thing. Don't forget past failures. Don't allow past failures to condemn you. Sometimes there are things we've done which we regret. In fact, I expect all of us have done things that we regret. Paul knew all about that. He ruthlessly persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. He done terrible things, and yet he is not allowing this to hinder him in the present. Instead, he has experienced God's grace, his full, free, forgiving love, which has poured out on him, set him free to serve God, and set him free from condemnation. As he writes in another letter, because of what Jesus did when he died on the cross, he writes, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No matter what you may have done in the past, God's grace can forgive and cleanse you and give you a fresh start. If this morning you're under a burden of things you've done that you wish you hadn't done, things that you know are wrong, you can find God's full and free forgiveness. To believe otherwise is to give your own sin greater power than God's grace. Let me say it again. To believe otherwise is to give your own sin a greater power than God's grace. And maybe that's you this morning, someone here this morning, who's burdened down by looking back things that you did and they condemn you. And there's a verse in 1 John, I think it is, it says, when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts, for he knows all things. And when he forgives, he chooses not to remember it ever again. Here's a verse from Isaiah, prophet Isaiah. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sin no more. When I was a child, we used to sing a chorus. It said, when God forgives, he forgets. He no more remembers your sin. Strictly speaking, it's not accurate. God can't forget. To forget is a human frailty, as we all know as we get older. But what God does, he says, I choose to remember no more. He will never bring these things to account. As someone famously said, God casts our sin into the deepest ocean and then he puts up a sign saying, no fishing. And if God chooses to remember it no more, so should you. But it may not be something you did that is hindering you. It may be something that someone else did to you. Nonetheless, the same principle applies. It's not what was done to you, which may be very wrong and very hurtful, but how you responded to it and continue to respond to it. How many Christians leave a church or resign from something in church because of something someone did to them or something someone said to them? But if you allow such things to hinder you, then the book of Hebrews tells us you miss the grace of God and it, it says a bitter root will spring up in your life. A bitter root. Hebrews 12, 15. 
Don't allow pastors to embitter you. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The bitter root will not only embitter you, it will also cause trouble for other people. It will defile others. The word used there is of a colored dye, and the one you touch it, it stains you. And believe me from experience, bitter people, bitter people stain other people. They cause trouble for other people. Now you may say, well, it's all right for you to say that. You don't know what so-and-so did to me. You don't know what so-and-so said to me. You can't imagine what I'm feeling. And I answer, no, I don't. But I do know that in comparison with what you have done to Christ, what he has forgiven you, it's very small, the 10-pound debt compared to the 10-million debt in the parable that Jesus told. No, all these past things must be put behind. We must keep on forgetting them. And one of the strategies of the enemy, of Satan the enemy, he's called the accuser of the brethren. I mean, the accuser of the brothers of Christians. And his great tactic is to accuse you of things from the past. And you need to put up, Ephesians 6 says, put up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. But it's not just past negative experiences we need to forget. We need also to forget past positive experiences which can cause us to become complacent. Don't allow past triumphs to anesthetize you. If anyone could have cause for self-congratulation, it would be the Apostle Paul. 25 years he's been slaving around the Mediterranean world, spreading the good news about Jesus. He's been persecuted, stoned, left for dead, shipwrecked, a whole catalog of things. He could look back and say, look, here I'm in prison. I'm about to have my head chopped off maybe, so why don't I just take it easy and give up, you know? Yet he's not content to sit back and live on past blessings and victories. So he writes to the Christians in Corinth. He uses the same picture of an athlete. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And here's his personal testimony. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body, make it my slave, so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He's still spiritually fit. He's still in training. I was struck once by reading the comment of a well-known Christian leader who'd been greatly used by God in the past. But now getting along in years, he said, what are you praying for? He said, I'm praying that I won't fall at the last hurdle. The devil never lets up. Take it from me. It's one of the oldest ones here. He never lets up. Pray that you won't fall at the last hurdle. Past victories are no guarantee against future defeat in the life of the Christian. So while we give thanks to God for the blessings of the past and learn from them, we must go forward, he says, forgetting what is behind. However good or bad it may have been, today is the first day of the rest of your life. So make this resolution. That's the first perspective, forgetting the past. Now, our time is going. Let's keep moving. Forgetting the past. But Paul says we also have a future perspective, facing the future. He says, I'm straining towards what is ahead. It's a lovely word from the original language in Greek. The word strain is a picture of an athlete running in a race who's just forgetting about the past, but he's straining forward. 
He ignores all that is behind. One commentator describes it straining. A vivid word drawn from the games, it pictures a runner with his eye fixed on the goal, his hand stretching out towards it, his body bent forward as he enters the last and decisive stage of the race. That's the picture, if you remember the great film Chariots of Fire, the picture of Eric Liddell in the Paris Olympics, straining towards the future. There are three key words here, the goal, the prize, and the call. What is the goal? It's not spelled out specifically here, but surely the context tells us. He says, my goal and aim in life is to know Christ, to become like Christ. Has he not already attained this? Yes, but not in full measure. You could never know the love of Christ because it surpasses knowledge. It's a constant well that you can draw on. Yes, he's been captivated by Christ, by his love that will not let him go. Now he looks forward to the future of knowing Christ fully. A relationship no longer hindered by sin as he's raised from the dead. So here's what he writes. Uh, Susie read it for us in verse 10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, somehow attaining to his, the resurrection from the dead. That is his goal. And if you've experienced what it means to be a true Christian, a follower of Christ, the sure sign of it is that you've got a desire to want to know Christ better, to experience his love in a greater way. What's the prize we must win? Surely it's what is already written about in verse 9. The prize that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the base of faith. His great desire is that whenever his life ends, be it immediately or in the future, that when he stands before God, he will be quitted on the day of judgment because of what Christ did for him and receive the crown of righteousness. It appears, from all that we know, that he wasn't executed at this point. He was set free to serve Christ for a few more years, but eventually he was arrested again, brought back to Rome, this time again in chains, and this time there was to be no reprieve. And so in his last letter from prison to Timothy, his young colleague, he writes, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. He writes, this is what God called me to. This is what God is calling me for. God called him from heaven, and now Christ called him from heaven, and now Christ is calling him to heaven. Paul first heard that call on the road to Damascus, and now the call is ringing in his ears, motivating him to keep going. At the end of his life, whenever it is, he wants to hear the final call from heaven. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your Lord. The idea here is of a victorious athlete being called up to the imperial box in Rome to receive the laurel wreath from Caesar's hand. But Paul and every Christian is promised something far better from someone infinitely greater. The Emperor Nero passes his verdict on Paul. Paul loses his head, but he gains a crown. He loses his head, but he gains the crown, the crown of righteousness. The call from heaven to heaven. As we already sang that wonderful hymn, 
the sky, not the grave, is our goal. So every Christian can say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Heaven is our destiny. But, and I've almost finished, we are not yet there. We have not yet arrived. So until then, what do we need to do? We need to keep running. We need to keep going. So my challenge to you is to reaffirm your commitment. If you're already a Christian, to reaffirm your commitment, a New Year resolution. So let me put the verse up one more time. All right? I was going to say we could read it together, but it's a personal verse, really, isn't it? What I do. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So, you're going to make a new resolution. God knows our hearts. When we make a resolution, God will give us the ability by his spirit to keep it. So let's just, we're finished at this point almost, going to sing a song in a moment, but let's just spend a moment in quiet reflection. Think about the verse on the screen. And if you want to make it your resolution this year, don't just do it because I'm asking you to, but if God is speaking to you and challenging you and saying, I want you to make this resolution, strain ahead towards what is ahead. Let's just spend a few moments in quietness thinking about this. Making our personal response. John will come and join me to lead our final song. Lord, you know our hearts, those of us who have made a response even this morning to keep going, to strain ahead, to forget the past, to look to the future by your grace. Lord, you've promised that when you call us, you also equip us. Give to us a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit even today. To give fresh energy so that we might finish the course with gladness. Lord, help us, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to sing a final hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be.